You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Let's get started uh, with our show. I think we're going to have a great time. I'm I'm very, very honored to at least call this person a friend. I hope she thinks she's... <laughs> She thinks the same way. She might come on the show and be like, no, we're not friends, Michelle Meow. But we've had her on before in which we talked about her web series. As you know, I, you know I'm a huge, huge fan of, of what's on the web now. And I just totally love this, the, the, what's happening with the queer community in terms of getting content out there and more and more people uh, celebrating queer lives, especially on the Internet and YouTube. Um, and so I'd like to welcome the creator of Scissor, the series, Lauren Ogarten, to the show. Lauren, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to be your friend. Um, that was very <laughs> touching, and I'm very appreciative of that. So thank you. Awesome. I feared that you may come on and be like, I don't know you. No, um, I was like, you know what? She's gotten too big for me now. She's interviewing Ellen Page. She oh, wouldn't even want me on the show. So no. Oh please. Oh, please. I, I, I'm not the least bit uh, uh, as talented as you are. We had you last year in which, um, you know, you were working on Scissor, the series. Yeah. And, and just to remind folks, it's a web series um, about, you know, 20 something year old lesbians from extremely different backgrounds um, um, set in Brooklyn, New York. Right. That is true. Uh, what's, you know, different about Brooklyn? I brought this up last time. We talked a lot about, you know, the differences between San Francisco, New York and L.A. lesbians. But I think yeah. Brooklyn's, you know, it's very unique. Yeah, I think it is, too. Um, and I also feel like a lot of a lot of lesbians, at least of my generation, have been pushed out of Manhattan and into Brooklyn. So it's kind of a hub of the culture, like, you know, in New York or on the East Coast. But it's really different because I felt like, because I, you know, now lived in both places and living in LA, it was much easier to find a community and find a group of people, but it was really quite splintered here in New York. There's lots of different like pockets of girls, but like there's no real, there's sort of one, one real bar that, you know, that's a a lesbian bar like left in the city. Um, So it's quite hard to sort of find a group of friends when you first come out, or at least that was my experience of it here. Huh. It sounds actually tragically familiar to what we're experiencing in San Francisco. We don't we just yeah. closed down the last lesbian bar and yeah. Brooklyn now sounds like Oakland in which, you know, a lot of the lesbians are being pushed out into Oakland. But I will say that I think um, lesbians in, in New York, especially and uh, possibly Brooklyn, um, are, are, are pretty in tune with fashion and they just they're just so hip. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely true. That's I feel like that's like really true on both coasts actually. For some reason it's like become this really, really like hip alternative culture. Because I think it's also like lesbian culture is sort of embody embodied androgynous fashion, I think, mm-hmm. which is like I think most girls are just really happy about that because it's sort of the end of like two tight things and two cool things and it's like I don't know who doesn't 
enjoy just being able to dress like comfortably but super stylishly. So maybe that's why. Maybe we led the pack there. Yeah, you do. So let's talk about Scissor the series. Last year we had you on. Um, you know, we had we, we you just had launched the pilot, but you were looking yeah. for funding behind it. So you have some good news for us. A year later, tell us what's going on with the series. Yeah. So we are coming back, um, but we have a, a bigger and brighter crew this time. So our original co-directors, um, Josh Moore and Steph, Stephanie Bag. They're flying back in from Australia to film the season. And then we also have um, April, Maxie, and Summer Stajak, who are two directors that are coming in. And, and they just had a lesbian short film that they wrote was included in the Berlin Film Festival's really prestigious Berlin Our Talents this year. So I'm really excited to work with them. And they've already done some amazing work. So we have, like, I don't know, we just have such an incredible team behind this thing. So we're basically coming back in and right now we're trying to raise the funding to shoot that first season so that we can, you know, keep that high production value. So I think a lot of the levying content you see online is really good, but it's not necessarily people that have a lot of experience in film and TV making this thing. Mm-hmm. But our, I mean, like our whole, our whole crew, I mean, I've just spent the, the last two years between shooting this working in Hollywood um, in TV uh, on a show called Battle Creek. And I'm right now I'm working, um, on a show called The Get Down for Netflix. So that, like, you know, I have that experience and that background. And then where I lack experience, which is in the actual, you know, filming, um, you know, we have an amazing, incredible DP, Steve Perong, who I'm just, like, so glad that he came onto this project. So it's going to look amazing. We just really need everybody's help to get it going, really. Awesome, awesome. And we yeah. want to be a part of that help. Um, and, you know, I, I asked this last time, uh, Scissor, I, I mean, and it's about uh, a bunch of lesbians. We, we, we probably need to address that uh, again for, you know, our new listeners and uh, those just hearing about Scissor, the series now. I mean, what's, yeah, uh, uh, yeah tell, tell us, you know, what's behind the name here, Scissor. Scissor, okay. So, well, it's basically... Um you know, it's kind of a play on, on the space that, like, gay men have with Grindr um, and, like, all, you know, all of this technology that, that people have to meet each other. So it's about four girls living in Brooklyn, New York, who meet on an iPhone app. Um, and they're all from really, really different backgrounds, which often tends to be the case here in Brooklyn. And then uh, once they actually start to meet each other, they realize they have a lot more in common, like, exes than they originally thought they did. But it's also just about all the different sort of types of backgrounds and types of sexualities, you know, how fluid people are and like, you know, all just kind of a different exploration of the complexity of female sexuality, which you really don't see anywhere very much. So that's kind of our jam. Awesome. We're speaking with yeah. Lauren Ogarton, who is the creator of Scissor the Series. Um, and they've got some great news coming out, by the way. And, and we're, we're going to let you know how you can support this web series. Um, we want to see more, again, queer representation, queer content, especially lesbians, which is you know, has been has been lacking to some degree, but uh, but like I said, you know, it seems like on the internet we really we we're we're including it more and more these days. I I, I, I was going to ask you, Lauren, kind of your thoughts behind some of the lesbians that are popping up lately. Uh, you know, who are YouTube stars, um, who yeah. have their own travel series, or you know, they do all this stuff. Yeah. And, man, they have like millions and millions of followers. Like I'm like, how the he- I mean, that is so awesome. So what are your thoughts yeah. behind that? Yeah, it's really cool. I've actually, um, I actually met Platinum Bly, who you had on the show prior to this, I think. And um, there's like a lot of different, a lot of different sort of um, more kind of reality TV web series type of things that there's a lot of content out there, which is really cool and really important, especially I think for 
girls a bit younger than myself even to be able to see like you know real life representations of them and I think you know like we have it pretty easy growing up on both coasts in terms of of like just being out and being safe it's not always easy but it's a lot easier compared to you know the rest of America and other parts of the world so I think it's really important that people can like see themselves um you know and if they have to take to YouTube to find that community it's like a really supportive community too like even if you kind of look through all the comments you don't find a lot of hate, and if you do, it's really quickly sort of like caught and removed by the communities themselves. So it's sort of a really positive space, which is really cool. And I think like it gives you a bit more of a spectrum than you're going to see in TV. You know, I don't know if I, I spoke to you about this last time, but I mean, I'm also an actress, and um, I'm considered too femi to audition for the majority of lesbian roles. Hmm. So yeah, I actually auditioned for, for One Big Happy when it was casting, and they wouldn't see me for the lesbian role, but I was I was being auditioning for the other female lead, which is really interesting, you know. And I think it's not like it's really easy to find on TV quite stereotypical representation. But I think the internet sort of opening up this whole new landscape so that people don't have to feel like they need to change themselves in order to be part of a community, or they don't have to feel like they can't be a part of a community because they don't look or act or. 100% comply to this certain way of being, you know? Like yeah. Like us making our own content, which I right. think is really important. I want to go back. Do You actually tried out for One Big Happy. That is actually the sitcom that was produced by Ellen DeGeneres, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Luke yeah. Feldman was the writer. who's a really talented writer. And, and I, I did watch the first season, which my understanding is that it actually did get canceled did it, or it didn't it get did. picked up for a second yeah. season. And yeah. I, so the, le- the, the lesbian, so it's about a lesbian who has a relationship uh, or who's having a baby with her best friend, a male best friend who is also then, you know, engaged to some woman. I, I mean, there were some funny parts, but I, I didn't think that she was a, you know, stereotypical conventional lesbian either. I, I don't, I don't see yeah. the difference between her and you. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I could also be, it could be something completely different. It may be the fact that they already had an offer out to her beforehand. Like, maybe that's the reason why I didn't audition for the lesbian role. But at the time, it seemed like they were both open and I didn't fit into one. You know, I think that's often the case is it's like, if, you know, if you're, if, if there's like a sort of more, more butch or like more masculine lesbian on TV, they'll deliberately search for people who are gay to play that person uh-huh. but it's oftentimes like if it's sort of like someone who doesn't fit that mold they're happy just to cast a straight actor and hope for the best which mm-hmm. like you know that's fine sometimes but it doesn't always work and I you know I've kind of yet to see that mold broken really yes me too because it leads to my next question I wanted to ask you as an actress and someone you know who obviously this is your profession and you're part of the film industry there's this big discussion about the authenticity of queer roles in Hollywood. And I personally felt like in one big happy, I did not, I was not uh, the the lesbian, you know, the lesbian character did not resonate with me. It was unrealistic. I was like, this is, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really get it. I'm not connecting. So like in that role, it would have been awesome if like you played it because then, you know, you would be able to, to, yeah, like you would, (laughs) you would be a much more quote unquote believable lesbian. What are your feelings behind that? Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, all props to the creators of that show. I really do think that they do their best. And I think that, you know, in their own right, they're all really amazing uh, creators. I think it might have 
I think there's two things that are quite difficult about it is that I think the show, you know, they've been trying to make that show for 20 years. So 20 years ago, that might have been a bit more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I also just think that they were trying to play within the Hollywood framework, which is something that, like, I don't know, my biggest idol in the universe is Joe Soloway. And I feel like she's never played inside of that framework. She's been really authentic. She's really stuck to her guns. Like, she's played inside of that framework in terms of she's worked her way up inside of Hollywood and she's got the experience she needs to know what's necessary to create an amazing project that sticks. But then she's gone, well, this is how I'm going to do it and these are the people that I'm going to align myself with. You know, so it appears, you know, for all intents and purposes, that Amazon is really hands-off and they allow her to create what it is that's authentic and real to her, so she tells the story. Whereas I think maybe what happened in One Big in One Big Happy was that it got a bit caught up in like needing to create a show that fit into a certain type, and you know, and I think the pressure of that maybe. See, and that's why you know, we're we're authenticity. Yeah, and that's why we're excited for a series like Scissor the series. Lauren, we have to take a quick break, but when we come yeah. back, I'd love to continue the discussion about series, the lesbian yeah. web series. Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. You're listening to the best of the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. 
It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao. Your host, Fong, our producer, is in studio. And our guest today is Lauren Ogarten, who is the creator creator of Scissor, the web series. Um, Lauren, you know, which the web series is about, by the way, a a group of 20-something-year-old lesbians living in Brooklyn who come from various different backgrounds. Um, Let's let's talk about the fact that when you put a bunch of lesbians together like that, uh, I mean, what what happens? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not um, not all of the actors are gay. Uh, okay. So in the pilot, uh, I play one of the main characters. I, I play this girl Aviva, who's Jewish, and she's just come out, and she's afraid to tell her family that she's gay, which is something that continues the whole season and is like a part of my story, but definitely blown out of proportion of what my actual story was. Um, and then we have Lena Singer, who is not gay, who plays Corey, who is um, heartbroken because the girl that she believed was her girlfriend for, you know, the entirety of college uh, has been having an affair with Aviva. And that's the first girl Aviva's ever been with. So they're kind of entangled in that mess. And then we had Jamie Clayton, who's not gay, um, and she was playing, um, she's playing Neve, who's the door girl that connects them all together. She works at the bar. And then we have Kelly Sebastian, who is gay, who plays Emily, um, who's kind of the reverse Shane in a way. Like, she's Shane, but it's not glorified. <laughs> um, you know, so, so that's, that's kind of the, the cast we had. And then, you know, the crew was some gay. And then it was actually a straight married couple who were the, um, the co-directors and, and helped me produce. Um, so it was kind of really interesting because we had a really um, diverse cast and crew. And, you know, I, I looked high and wide to find uh, people who are actually gay to play these roles. And, you know, as soon as I... There were certain people I found, like, every time I went to an audition in New York, I'd ask for the casting directors, and that's how I found Kelly Sebastian, actually. And then I found Jamie Clayton um, through a different sort of uh, acting community here. And, and Jamie is a trans actress, but, you know, she's not... Um, playing a trans role in this series. Mm-hmm. She's actually been stolen by the Wachowskis, so she probably won't be coming back for this season, but, you know, I can completely understand why. Right. Um, so <laughs> no hard feelings there. She's doing an incredible job on that show, and she's amazing. So it's really interesting, like, having this group of people. I mean, everybody was, like, obviously very in touch with their sexuality and, like, their gender and whatever, and, and those things I never really had to, like, work on, you know? And I think, especially for Kelly, like, I know she said that it was really fun for her. You know, she's the face of um, of Apple. Like, if you walk into an Apple store, it's her. And, like, she's in a lot. She's done a lot of commercial work. And it was really fun for her to not have to feel the need to, like, dress up and become this other kind of human being. She could just really be herself, you know, or a not-so-nice yeah. version of herself playing, playing this role. So, like, it was really cool to be able to give people that opportunity. I don't know. I mean, I'm really a big fan of, like, casting from within communities when they're minorities, um, mm-hmm. I think that's important. Like, I'm not, you know, not to say, like, obviously, like, I don't think you have to be, um, you know, cis to play a cis role. Obviously, like, I didn't cast that way. I don't think you have to be gay to play a gay role or um, not gay to play a straight role. But it's, like, I think it's important when you're trying to represent a community to, to like, actually take people from that community as much as possible. Right, right. Kudos to you for that. Um, you know, we really haven't had, like, the, a, a hit you know, show since the L word. Um, yeah. 
right? And and because like you said, a lot of what's popping up lately has been based off of reality or it's a reality series. So I'm really looking forward to the completion of season one of Scissor, the, the web series. Um, you know, kind of what the L word did for us was give us the platform to expose yeah. our relationships. Do you think that, you, you know, you'll follow kind of the same... Uh, themes as Elwood did or explore maybe, uh, you know, something um, much deeper? I think yes and no. I mean, the Elwood, I'm, you know, was amazing and I'm so glad that it existed. And obviously there are huge parts of it that I relate to. Uh, I watched it when I didn't know I was gay and I watched like all of the seasons all at once, which probably tells you something about me. But um, <laughs> I like, I also did feel like it was a big fantasy you know like everybody on that show lives in these amazing houses in LA they all have money they work you know they're very corporate um and that's not my experience of like you know I honestly believe and maybe this is just my theory out of nowhere but but part of the reason why lesbian bars haven't done so well is because women don't know as much as men so like you're trying to find this like a lot of you know the Dalloway popped up but it was just too expensive for girls to go through so it it shut down pretty quickly in New York and I think like I wanted to capture part of that reality of, of what it actually feels like to really be trying to make it in New York City as well as then, you know, dealing with this otherness that you have if you're not sort of totally heteronormative, I guess. Mm-hmm. So a big part of my series is just about these girls trying to figure out who they are. Like, they know who they are in terms of their lesbianness, for want of a better word, but they're still trying to struggle with all those other things that we are. And there's really only one character who's not completely out in in this series. You know, great point. And and in a lot of shows that are, you know, kind of being shot in New York um, are including the gentrification that's happening to certain neighborhoods. And uh, my guess is, you know, Brooklyn is one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy here. It's more expensive to live in, say, Williamsburg than it is in the Lower East Side. Um, You know, like a lot of people are really priced out of Brooklyn even. So... It's tough. Like, New York is a really, really tough place to be. And not that the show is necessarily focusing on that difficulty all the time, but I wanted it to feel a bit more real than I felt like some other shows did that, you know, they didn't quite, like, touch on that, like, what it's really like to live, you know. And it's not Mm -hmm. reality. There are things that are definitely blown out of proportion here. Like, you know, Aviva, when she does come out in the season, like, her family's reaction to it is absolutely not what I think anyone would expect. Um, so, you know, it, we're definitely blowing, blowing up, you know, this world in a way that's not totally truthful, you know, or I guess it's truthful, it's just like bigger than life. But I do want to capture like what it actually feels like instead of what we want it to feel like. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So now let's turn our attention to sex because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure of it that the series addresses sex. As well, right? We we kind of yeah. talked about that. Now, you know, in pop culture, we're starting to see more, um, you know, inclusive uh, queer or lesbian uh, sex in shows like Orange is the New Black. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and even the Hollywood stars coming out and, you know, in this movie that, that I just interviewed for Freeheld, Julianne Moore and Ellen Page, who play Laurel Hester and, uh, you know, Stacey Andre, there are sex scenes, you know, in the movie. Um, it, Talk to us about, you know, what uh, lesbian sex and how it's being depicted and portrayed in, in pop culture today and, and kind of your feelings behind that as someone who is a filmmaker and who is an actress. Yeah. Well, I do have really uh, strong feelings about that. I think sex scenes are really difficult to, to pull off in film and to pull off in TV in a way that feels really authentic. Um, 
you know, and I mean, take, for example, Blue is the Warmest Color. I actually really, really loved that film. But the sex scene was so alienating to me. I felt like I was watching, like, <laughs> two straight girls in a porn, you know, and it wasn't. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable. I've never really aggressively have slapped any woman's uh, buttocks the way that those actresses God, I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, everybody, you know, is for what they're for. But I don't really know that play is that common a thing. You know, and mm-hmm. it's not even that so much. It's also the fact that, like, you know, what was so authentic feeling to me about that film was you see one girl who's, like, just come out and she's, sort of like feeling a bit like an outsider inside of this environment. Like when you see her at Pride, you know, she's like just starting to get the hang of like, oh, I belong here. Um, But she's not quite there yet. And then you cut to this sex scene where it's supposedly the first time she's ever having sex with a woman and she immediately dives into it. And there's no like emotion there, no feeling, you know. So I found that really, really inauthentic. And I think those actresses did too. They've spoken out about it a bit. Yeah, they did. Yeah. The scene, the sex scene, the lesbian sex scenes in Sense 8, which Jamie Clayton was in, mm-hmm. those to me, they felt really real. And it's really, in some ways, kind of mundane things. Like, they're beautiful, um, but they're, you know, vanilla strap-on sex. There's nothing crazy about them. They're so real, and they're all about the characters' relationships to each other. You know, so that's kind of, I think, the most important part. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, in my series, like, I don't think I pay actors enough to take off their clothes. Like, I think the sex thing will be pretty minimal. But there's a lot of, like, conversation about sex and people delving into the things that they're comfortable with and, like, you know, some people asking people to do things that they just can't do. So I think, you know, there's definitely, like, a lot of discussion around sex and, like, you know, scenes about it. But, I'm, you know, I don't really think... Uh, people yeah. taking off their clothes that much in in my show. Well, Unless yeah. everybody donates a huge amount of money, and I can offer them enough money to make it worth it. You know, I wouldn't fight that. <laughs> um, uh, it, yeah, let's, so let's talk about, you know, the funding part, because that's really important. Yeah. So we're we're looking to complete se- uh, season one. And yeah. so how can people support Scissor the web series? So we have an Indiegogo set up, which we just launched today, um, which is igg.me slash at slash scissor. And scissor is spelled S-C-I-S-S-R. Um, or, you know, hopefully you guys can put a link online to that as well. Okay. But it, um, yeah. yeah, that'd be rad. But basically, I mean, we're trying to raise 30 grand, which is a huge amount of money, and I'm totally terrified about doing this. But at the same time, like, we want to provide what's, you know, six more episodes, which is a three-week shoot. Uh, so I do have to be paying my crew and be paying for food and be paying for equipment and also insurance, which is a bit of a killer. So, like, it's absolutely necessary to raise that money to then shoot this for as extreme a production value as we can get with minimal cost. So we've kind of, you know, nutted it down to the absolute basics of what we need and we can get by with 30 grand, but anything less than that's going to be pretty difficult to pull off what we're trying to pull off. Okay, guys, 30 is the magic number, not 30 cents, $30, uh, but $30,000. And so it takes uh, yeah. every single one of us. And so support yeah. more, Thank you know, you. queer representation, especially, you know, lesbian love stories because they're the greatest and I'm not biased or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I have to agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, before we let you go, I, I, you know, I'm sure that people will want to wonder and ask who are new fans of yours, uh, but are you taken? I'm actually married. <laughs> She's definitely taken. Married. Yeah. 
Married like as in the real deal. The real deal. Married with a dog. That is so cute. That is so wonderful. (laughs) Well, you know, tell your wife we're doing everything we can to raise money for you here. And that includes, um, well, that includes, you know, this. This is part of it. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's so helpful. I'm just super grateful you had me on the show. How how long have you guys been together? Um, Oh, God. I should answer this really quickly so I don't look weird. Uh, So we have been married two years. October the 15th. I'm really bad at <laughs> Yeah, I like your disclaimer. Oh, wow. In two days' time. In two days' time. Definitely writing that on my hand right now. Oh. Um, so you'll be yeah. celebrating a, an anniversary. Yes, we will indeed. That is Which awesome. will just be me being stressed about raising funds and her trying to calm me down. But, you know, it's still an anniversary. <laughs> well, I'm sure of it that you have something planned and, and you know, on, on top of doing all this, kind of, sort of. Well, she's a chef, which basically means she's gone like 15 nowadays, like five to six days a week, you know. So we will celebrate if this may not be on the actual anniversary. All right. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for, uh, for dropping by and for giving us updates on Scissor the Series and for continuing to do what you do. Because without people like you, I mean, what would we turn to? I don't even think they have lesbian, um, uh, uh, you know. Never mind. They don't. There's not a lot of content out there. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. That is right. So (laughs) so thanks again. And uh, feel free to come back and uh, good luck. Thank you so much. And thanks for everything you do. Awesome. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. We'll talk drag queens and we'll talk, uh, you know, all things LGBTQ. So don't go away. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody. And that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. 
You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is missed today. He's uh, doing other things, but he'll be here Thursday and Friday. Make sure you tune in to his week-to-week roundtable talk. It's all politics. I know that uh, most listeners here on the Progressive Voices Network enjoy that. Our guests, our next guest is Karen Fergala-Smith, who's a Brooklyn-based writer. Everybody's from Brooklyn today, or at least we're touching on uh, in Brooklyn. That's where all the cool kids are, who specializes in arts, culture, and international affairs and uh, here to discuss LGBT History Month. I think it's it's LGBT History Month. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on your show, Michelle, and thank you for all your amazing work. Oh, that's so sweet. Everybody's so nice today. It's a great Tuesday. <laughs> My work is done. I can go home and Fong, you take over the show. Um, so, you know, with everything that's been happening, I totally forgot that October is LGBT History Month. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, a, a month for the history has been designated in addition to sort of June is like what we think of as like the big, you know, the big party month, like the Stonewall anniversary. And like, you know, in New York City, I mean, June, every single weekend in June is just like blowout parties, amazing celebrations of life. Um, and And I think that like October is actually kind of like, the more sort of sober recognition of how far the community has come. And I think it's, it's um, kind of amazing, especially for like a lot of my young friends. Like I am, you know, uh, I'm in my forties and a lot of my young friends who are like in their twenties don't really have a sense of the struggle. And I think it's really important to take a moment and kind of pause and, and look at what people have had to fight for and, you know, really honor that. And, and continue to like look ahead, but like to take a moment and honor what, you know. The yeah. Past, yeah. You know, well, you know, in October is a national coming out day. It's also um, spirit day, right? October 15th. We all wear mm-hmm. uh, uh, purple. Um, yep. And it's also, you know, an anniversary, a, a tragic story that, you know, one of the first stories to really, I think, you know, I think, I think affect and impact people and having some compassion for the queer community. And that is the death of Matthew Shepard. Yep. 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 Absolutely. I remember, I mean, so vividly just the horrifying details of that. And, you know, I mean, uh, gosh, I wish we lived in a world where he was still walking among us, where he didn't have to suffer what he suffered. Um, but, um, you know, and of course my condolences to all of his friends and family and everyone knew him. But I do believe that his um, his suffering was not in vain. He brought so much awareness, um, you know, to the cause and made people. You know, I'm an ally. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a straight girl. Um, I have a lot of you know gay friends, queer friends, you know, friends across the spectrum. And um, for me, it's just such a poignant, just human rights history. This is this is you know, uh, this is a human being who mm-hmm. was not allowed to live his truth. Mm-hmm. and was, was killed for it. So I just remember so vividly that, you know, horrible, horrible account. And I think it, it brought awareness to a lot of people that this is not, this is, cannot happen. And yet it does. But it, it brought, I think, you know, 
I think it brought the soldiers to the battlefield in a lot of ways. So let's talk about LGBT History Month. You have this awesome article that's posted on the Huffington Post um, dot com in which, you know, you talk about, yeah, it's LGBT History Month, History Month and, and we've come a long way, but there still is a lot to do. Yeah. Well, the context of this story was I was invited by some friends to, come, to go down to Atlantic City to enjoy this fabulous, um, amazing, you know, drag competition. It's Miss America with a D on the end. And this show has been going on for more than a decade. And it originally started because some of the gay men who were working backstage at the original Miss America, you know, they had their talents and their skill and their beauty, and they wanted to be able to showcase that. And also it was um, originally designated, you know, in order to raise money for various charities to, you know, help with youth groups and, you know, um, you know, various issues in New Jersey for LGBTQI, you know, um, people. Mm -hmm. So I was like enjoying this amazing, it was such a celebration of life, the talent, the good vibes, the beautiful performances that were just like each one was like a Broadway show. Like when they did their performances, you know, Alexis Michelle and, you know, um, this Cece Dubois, it was just, it was truly breathtaking. They had chorus boys. They had, amazing music and and um some were singing live some were doing these incredible dances and it was just such a beautiful vibe and it, but it was a very insulated community and it was almost like like we kind of forgot what the world out there was like because here we are in this wonderful glittering borgata hotel you know and we're just celebrating um you know this incredible journey but then it was like you know we really have to look at the fact is that many many um, you know, cities in the United States are not safe for people who, whether, you know, it's, a, it's you know, their gender is non-conforming or, you know, their sexuality is not, you know, um, you know, heterosexual. There are a lot of people who still struggle with violence, struggle with not being accepted right. with discrimination. And so I think that, you know, in the midst of this incredible celebration, it was just you know, just important to remember the work ahead, right. you know, and, um, and, and just, you know, really thinking in terms of that, because this year has been a phenomenal, I think, you know, growth as far as, you know, the putting forth all of these issues, right? Gender, sexuality, and having people across the spectrum being more comfortable with how they live in the world, right? And feeling, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, drag obviously is different from, you know, transgender, but there are, you know, some aspects that, you know, I know a lot of transgender people who, who might have sort of started to explore, you know, using drag. So I think that they're, you know, they kind of have some, you know, uh, correlation in a way. Well, and I, I think that, yeah. you know, go on. Yeah, go on. no, I'm, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I could talk forever. <laughs> no, it's like the, the access that we have today as far as like media is concerned. You put this, you stated it well in your article, you know, in, in, in that, you know, for example, Caitlyn Jenner on the cover of Vanity Fair. We have RuPaul's Drag Race. We have um, gay marriage. Uh, but yet we yep. can't redefine, you know, kind of what drag meant to our community at one point and and also we can't we have to continue the dialogue in defining gender identity um and and all the different i think i should say you know the different uh, colors of our beautiful rainbow here that's inclusive of anyone who falls in that that spectrum uh, we're we're becoming 
less and less, I think, you know, about LGBT and more and more about uh, everything else, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, yeah. And drag Absolutely. used to be an expression of freedom for us, uh, you know, freedom from oppression, uh, freedom from, you know, just just kind of the stereotypes of, of that heteronormative life. And as an ally, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I think, like, what, what's also, you know, fascinating is that, um, you know, at this particular, um, the Miss America pageant, there were, there were older couples, like, you know, um, heterosexual couples, like older couples. So for them, they were like, let's go see a good show. There were, you know, women who were heterosexual who were like, oh, let's, let's go have a great night out. And it's like, it's not seen as this fringe anymore. The acceptance has grown so vastly that it's not like this crazy thing, you know, in a back room somewhere. So that's comforting, right? That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Because when something's avant-garde, in a way, it's because it's not accepted, right? So the acceptance has grown. So in a sense, the fact that drag isn't like, holy, like revolutionary in that same way is is a reflection of our society, right? That our society has become so much more open um, and accepted. And I think, like, honestly, um, the reason why I mentioned the Suzanne Barsh um, book in, in my article is Suzanne Barsh is this um, nightclub promoter in New York City. She's absolutely gorgeous, mythical creature. So rumor has it she's in her 60s, but I've known her for over 20 years, and I don't think she's, like, aged a single day. But she started to, um, you know have these parties, um, and basically it was gay, straight, black, white. It was all, you know, just a wide array of, like, human beings who just wanted to enjoy and have a good time. And she was one of the first people to um, really believe in RuPaul. She hired him to um, dance on the bar. And basically, you know, he would, you know, be in drag, and he would be, like, dancing in high heels back and forth in the bar. And she's like, you're a star. Like, you're amazing. Whatever it is you're doing, keep doing it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, like, RuPaul, for a lot of people, and, I, you know, and I've met Ru. Ru's a beautiful, just truly beautiful human being inside and out, full of love. Like, all the beautiful things, you know, that Ru says on, um, you know, drag race is really, you know, exactly where Ru is coming from. Such a loving, accepting person. And I think that has, has made people, look, when people are watching a show, in the same way that if you look at um, sports, and how sports helps so much with integration and with racial understanding or like looking at music. I think that the culture of drag has helped, you know, sort of bring a lot of allies and, and people can say, look, these, you know, this is a really talented human being. I have to respect this. And I think that, um, sorry, I, you can ask me, you can interrupt me and ask me questions. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, we're just listening to you. That's, that's why we have you on the program. Uh, well, this is a, this is a great, uh, you know, segue then to us taking a break. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion regarding LGBT history month. Uh, so don't go away. Sounds good. Thank you. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. 
the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Listening to the best of the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to the best of show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this fantastic Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our producer, Fong, is in studio. We miss John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, but that's okay. He's uh, He'll be here Thursday filling in for me while I'm in Vegas at a, a, a pride conference. Uh, all the you know pride organizations around the world, uh, at least formal ones, are getting together in Vegas. And uh, I, I don't expect myself to be partying. I expect myself to be working. <laughs> Our guest on the phone with us is Karen Fergala-Smith, who's a Brooklyn-based writer. We're talking about LGBT History Month. And and Karen, you know, you mentioned this very early on the interview in which you said, by the way, I'm an ally. Um, You know, talk to us about what that means, because um, there are a lot of allies tuning into the program. um, But I'd love I've never asked an ally this. Like, what does it mean to you to be an ally? Well, for me, it means a lot of different things. Basically, I'll say, like, when I came to New York City over 20 years ago, I ran away from home. So I came here with $50 and two trash bags full of clothes. And the people who took me in were, like, um, you know, the gay men in the nightclub. And they, you know, that was my community, it was nightclubs. And other outliers of various, you know, people, we, we all, I think a lot of different people feel like outsiders for one reason or another, whether it's you know, your gender identification, your sexuality could be just because you're like a general sort of weirdo like me. And I think that, that there was that common ground of feeling like an outsider and trying to explore that and figure out how to live a life that's authentic. And, um, you know, so for me early on, like I grew up in a town where I don't think there was a single, um, you know, out, you know, gay or lesbian individual that I knew of in my entire town. So when I moved to New York City, I was like, all right, cool. Like, hey, if someone's cool with me and respectful of me, that's it. You're in. I don't care your age, you know, what you look like, you know, black, white, you know, gay, straight, you know, any kind of anything. If you're cool and we're cool, that's it, you know. But I also think, like, as, you know, I I worked in international relations at Newsweek for 11 years. And for me, um, you know, gay rights is human rights. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, as a human being, I think in terms of, you know, the, the great adage, injustice to anyone, anywhere, mm-hmm. right? right. With the old, you know what I'm trying to say? Is, you know, I believe in justice for all, which is what I'm saying. I think that everyone should have the right to express themselves, express their sexuality, and, 
you know, so I think that I, I fight for that um, so strongly. And I certainly identify with the outlier. And I think that, you know, even, um, even in places like in New York City where there's, you know, a lot of freedom, you can sort of do your own thing, there are still moments. There are still... Um, places that you might go where, where, where people can be, you know, can discriminate. And so, you know, I fight in whatever way I can, you know, for, for justice. I, I wanted and, to ask, yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about the, the work we still need to do um, in kind of, you know, the, the family that took you in. And I'm sure you've got, you have very close relationships with people in the queer community or LGBTQI community. Uh, you know, what types of uh, discrimination did you also may have witnessed or face um, that would make you become the ally you are today? Well, I think that, you know, when I was coming up, it was really, like, age was such a big thing, right? There was, you know, this is like in the 90s, there was so much fear, and people were like, you know, um, it really spurred a lot of homophobia. And for me, like, I also have a lot of West Indian friends, and in West Indian culture, there can be sort of homophobia is almost, like, accepted. And I can think of so many times where I'm like, okay, I have my West Indian friends at this party, and I have my gay friends. And it's like, sitting down, you know, talking to my talking to my West Indian friends and being like, listen, what are your fears? What's the problem? Why do you have this hatred? Where is this coming from? And sort of working through it patiently and being like, let's let's talk about it issue by issue, you know, and, and, and like, look, you know, you know, my gay friends don't want to convert you. They don't even think you're hot, but you're like, you know, like your your long ass beard and your dreadlocks. Like, don't flatter yourself, honey. No one's trying to, you know, change your mind about your sexuality. All anybody wants is acceptance. All anybody wants, you know, they will give you respect if you give them respect, and vice versa. So it's like I can think of these moments, and there was this um, there was this little, it was like a tiny nightclub bar in in Williamsburg called Black Betty. This was many years ago, and my husband was a DJ there, and I can just think of these nights out in the back yard where it was like amazing diversity of people. There were Hasidic, you know, men from the neighborhood who would come and dance. There were like old Latin ladies who would come do their girls night out. There was gay and straight and black and white. And the way people would mix, because everyone just felt free to be themselves. And I think to me, that's, that's an ideal world, right? Where mm -hmm. you judge someone, like Martin Luther King said, by the content of their character, not by all these other identifiers. And so, you know, for me, I just fight fight ignorance and, and fight for understanding. And, and also, mind you, like, I'm, you know, one of my, you know, dearest friends, um, you know, is all, I'm always, like, asking her to explain to me, like, because there's new, always new terminology, right? There's always, she's always, like, breaking it down for me because sometimes it's, like, we have to gently instruct each other. We have to ask questions. And so the more I learn, the more I know and I can understand, the more I can help, you know, other people and I can sort of be a bridge for understanding. And that's, that's what I that's, to do. And that's what we need. We need more bridges. So in kind of, you know, in closing and in, in, in your article here at the very end, we talk about, well, you talk about, you know, how much we work we still need to do. I mean, the lives we continue to lose in the trans community uh, with yep. exposure, you know, comes um, all the scores of stories of, you know, hate that still exists out there. We, it, this isn't just a LGBT thing as in like more we need to do as in fighting. This is, we, we, I, like I said, like you said, you know, we need more bridges. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I think um, one thing I'd like to see is more 
um, education and training for law enforcement. And just to really emphasize that a trans life is worth the same as every other life and to make sure that trans people are protected. And if something were to happen to a trans person, that that crime is investigated as vigorously as any other crime. I think that's really important um, for law enforcement and also for um, protection on the job. I think that it's easy to look at someone, you know, who's rich and fabulous like Caitlyn Jenner and say, wow, okay, this is trans. But trans is also, you know, the school principal who, you know, loses her job because there's ignorant people who don't know what to make of her life change. You know, it's it's the, the um, you know, the mom or the dad who loses custody or who's ostracized by a, a small community. And I think that all of us need to really, you know, be aware of the needs in our own communities and really support each other and also, you know, march and to fight for laws, but also to, to educate each other. And when you see ignorance, I know it's frustrating and I know it's infuriating, but to educate and inform those who are willing to be informed and to, um, you know, use the law as needed, you know, to really fight for those rights. Karen, thank you so much for sharing you with us today and, uh, of course, during LGBT History Month. And we're very thankful for allies like you. My pleasure. It's an honor to be on your show, Michelle, and keep doing your thing. Keep fighting a good fight. <laughs> Both of us. We have to. <laughs> if yeah. you'd like to, to to follow Karen and her work, you can follow her on Twitter at World News Woman. Hey, Fong. Hey. So, did you know it was LGBT History Month? Yeah. All right. That's so. why I booked her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about LGBT History Month. Um, there's so much history out there. And I had a comment from someone who, you know, just immigrated here uh, four years ago, who's a millennial, and he felt like there wasn't enough history out there in the LGBTQ community. What are your feelings about that? I, uh, I pretty much agree uh, with him about that. Um, when I first started off, um, if it wasn't through some of the internships that I you know, went through with with Lyric, I wouldn't have learned some of these, you know, history about like, you know, Harvey Milk, Matthew Shepard, but then also very white and gay and um, more like androcentric. Mm -hmm. um, and then until I got to college where I get to learn a little bit more about like um, African-American writers who are uh, POC writers who are queer and all these awesome, awesome people who I haven't heard about um, mm -hmm. until until college. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is that uh, in 2015, I feel like all of us, we are making history. Yeah. yeah. You know, you could very well end up being in a textbook somewhere as a, <laughs> I, I know it, we, we giggle about it, but 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 really. Yeah, really. I mean, what we're, you know, kind of doing and living our lives and being open about it and mm -hmm. discussing and talking about it, um, you know, that that is all part of history. The other thing is, I mean, with the Internet these days, it, that's why I think it's so important for people like Lauren O'Garten to, to put out content out there, because, again, that's also a part of history. But it furthers our movement in yeah. every way possible. Yeah, definitely. And through some of the conferences, I was... um you know, attending mm -hmm. for a while, there's a lot of disparity about what we get to learn in, you know, our history classes. Oh, uh, well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they sure do want us to learn about, 
you know, Christopher Columbus. <laughs> it's Indigenous People's Day, people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, here's some things that that, uh, that people in the queer community should absolutely know. Like, if you don't know Harvey Milk, mm-hmm. definitely find out, you know, mm-hmm. who Harvey Milk is. Uh, if you don't know about Stonewall, make sure you find out, you know, what Stonewall is about. Um, yeah. You know, Gilbert Baker and the gay flag, uh, you know, in San Francisco, if you're in the area, definitely read up about the Compton cafeteria riots mm-hmm. um, in, in, you know, the trans community. It just seems like, you know, in Stonewall, we definitely need to recognize people like Marsha P. Johnson mm-hmm. and, and the various trans and people of color who were involved in the riot. But also here in San Francisco and we had the Compton cafeteria riots, riots. Uh, that was the trans women who are being raided upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just lots and lots and lots of history out there. I can't say that I'm a historian. All I know is just kind of the people that we talk to. It has been a great joy today here on Tuesday. We will be back tomorrow at the same time, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So make an appointment to tune in to the Michelle Meow Show on the Progressive Voices Network. We'll talk to you tomorrow. The Michelle Miao Show, Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network. 